Action's Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. In this podcast, we feature different stories about people who turned a vision into reality in hopes that these stories will inspire you to pursue whatever vision you want to turn to reality. Today's guest has a vision that combines two things that I'm personally passionate about and two things that are really important to our society today, and that is bringing people together, community, as well as opening people up to new experiences. With her project called The Same Plate Denver, welcome Kayla Ferguson. Hi, I'm so happy to be talking to you about this. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining me on Actions Antidotes. How, how are you doing today? Oh, good. I'm. Um, snow is not my favorite type of weather, but I guess we need the water. So I'm just enjoying the yeah. seasons, I guess. <laughs> Convincing myself that I enjoy the seasons. <laughs> Undoubtedly. Yeah. Sometimes you have to make the, the best of it. I was actually recently in Crested Butte where the weather was really good. It was sunny and pleasant, but there wasn't enough snow there for a really good skiing experience. It was a lot of bare spots. So it reminded me that sometimes you need some of the good and some of the bad to kind of make everything flow together. I love that. They have to have the dark and the light, the good and the bad, the warm and the cold, the sun and the snow. It's what makes the world function, really. Definitely. <laughs> um, just to orient our listeners today, tell me about the same plate, Denver. Tell me what it's all about, what kind of experiences people have and, and what the uh, purpose is. Yeah, well, I'll start by kind of saying how the whole thing got started because I think that mm -hmm. provides some really valuable context. I was born and raised in Denver, so I uh, really love this city for one. That's a huge That's a huge reason why this is like a passion project for me. I also went out to school to California for school. I studied film, worked in Hollywood for a while, decided after a couple of years that that just wasn't going to work. So I saved up as much as I could, which wasn't very much on a Hollywood assistant salary, and um, bought a plane ticket to Japan and decided I was going to do a 26-country trip around the world. And so that was in 2015, 2016. It kind of straddled those two years. Uh, and I ended up back in Denver because I ran out of money, had to move into my parents' basement. Um, and now I'm still here, that coming up on five to six years later. But it was about a year and a half to two years after getting back that I was not particularly fulfilled by the job that I was doing and kind of wanting to take off on another round-the-world trip, but I didn't have the time, money, or resources. And I was sitting at an Indian restaurant one night with my now fiancé, then boyfriend. And it was just kind of like a light bulb moment of you can travel the world through food. And I'm not saying that e eating at an Indian restaurant in Arvada, Colorado is the same as going to India, but it can like open you up to that experience and just create some intrigue that can push you towards that adventure. So I decided I would start putting together dinners for just my friends. You know, I'd pick a different culture every month and invite my friends to dinner and it would just be like a gathering thing. So we could all talk, eat good food, catch up with each other, not over beers at a brewery, you know, because it's a little hard to connect with people in that environment, I found. Um, and so I started in January. By the third month of bringing together, I had close to 30 people coming, which was amazing that that many people wanted to try food. And I realized it sometimes impeded on the conversation people were able to have with each other. So that's when I started thinking about doing more curated experiences with um, the chef, with some intentional conversation and turning it into a whole like ticketed event for people. And then it just kind of grew from there. And so that's, that's the quick story. <laughs> that's excellent. By the way, first of all, it sounds like an idea that you had a light bulb moment kind of at that time at the Indian restaurant, but also an idea that came to you in a couple different segments in a way. You know, So you were in, in the Indian restaurant. Tell me about that first experience when you were at the Indian restaurant. Like, Was there something that made you think about this experience? I mean, the first thing was I want to go travel again. 
if I could have my choice in life, I would just be a total nomad. And I'm certainly working towards that. But that's all I wanted to do. So really, it was a very just kind of immediate, almost knee jerk reaction to what I wanted my life to be. And I was like, I want to travel. And then immediately after like, okay, how do I make that happen in my current reality? Because I didn't have the money to buy a plane ticket around the world. I didn't have the time off of work to go do that. So it was like kind of like a ping pong ball. Like, this is what I want. How can I make it happen with what's available to me? And then that just is kind of how it sparked. And it was a very like quick, well, this, why not try it? Why not see what happens? <laughs> Undoubtedly. And I think there's two great, I guess, mindset points for the listeners on that particular story. One is that people oftentimes get trapped by the gap between where your life is and where you want to be. And it could be, this insurmountable gap. A good thing to remember is that oftentimes a step in the right direction is worth the effort. And I'm guessing that's part of what you were feeling that day in the Indian restaurant. It was like, I'm not in India, right? And that's probably not going to happen for one circumstantial reason or another, but I can get a, a little portion of that experience and still... Right. And I think I, I have to go back to that almost every single day, the whole it's literally just one step in the next direction. Even people who run a marathon do it one step at a time. No mm -hmm. one launches from the start line to the finish line. It's like impossible until the Marvel universe shows up here or something, you know? So that, <laughs> that's how you do life. And so why not apply that to everything? I mean, I, I can get pretty intimidated thinking about wanting to scale this to other cities, to looking at, you know, what supply chain I need for some new product I want to launch. That's all super intimidating. And it can definitely stop me. And then I'm like, well, the next thing that there is to do is find someone who can do XYZ for my website. And then mm -hmm. I have that done. And then the next day, I will do this. And then the next day, I will do this. Taking it back to the super incremental steps and having kind of like the vision of what it could be out there to pull you forward. It's definitely like a, a little dance to do. You have to kind of like flex that muscle and practice that muscle. But that to me is the key to building anything. You know, the, you know, the famous saying, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yep. There's like some real wisdom behind that, even though it's kind of a cliche saying. <laughs> How do you go about getting to that mindset where when you look at things and you see where you are, you have to be okay with being in that intermediate step? Like, oh, I've gotten these things done. That doesn't mean I've launched. That doesn't mean I've gotten to the point where my life is exactly perfect where I want to be, but still be happy with the progress that you've made in the past week or month or year even. Yeah, that's another muscle I think to flex. And I, I kind of practice this in like a greater context through kind of like a meditation and gratitude practice, which again might sound cliche, but at the end of the day, once you can really get that you've never gotten there, like even once I did an around the world trip and I had gone to 26 different countries and I got back to the United States and I did this whole thing, this whole experience that was like the, the peak of the mountain in my life at that time. Well, there was still the next thing to do. Like you're never done until yeah. we die. Um, and so applying that mindset to, yeah, well, my business is never done and this product is never done. Do, having like a meditation practice and a gratitude practice of the fact that we're always a work in progress and everything we're touching is always a work in progress can make it just more fun. Whereas mm -hmm. like, oh, this is just a, a painting that I keep painting that I love. And so I'm just going to keep adding these colors to it that I love. And it's actually kind of cool that it never gets to be done because I get to keep reiterating it for wherever I'm at, whatever it's important to me in my life. But it, again, that comes with practice. I haven't always thought that way. I've had to really train myself to live in the, the joy of the unknown, I guess you could call it. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's a weird thing because I always imagine what it would be like to have everything be complete, you know, to have your life not be a work in progress anymore. 
And sometimes I actually wonder if that's actually secretly a little bit scary that all of a sudden there's not that next mountain to climb. There's Yeah, I think it's like this weird thing about being human where we we think that that'd be so great to have our entire to-do list done. And we're like, oh man, I it would just be so amazing to be have all these things that I want in my life done. But then you talk to some people who are retired, who say they have it all and they made the money and they had the career and their kids are off to college and whatever is having it all in whatever context. And there's a certain dissatisfaction and boredom to that. You know, like it's this, our brains trick us into thinking that that is what we want. But really there's more joy to be found in the living, which involves never being done, you know? So I say it's not done until we're dead. And even then it's probably not done. You know, there might be people who pick <laughs> the pieces of your business. Who knows? Like it's, <laughs> yeah. but life isn't done until we're dead. And I like to think I'm living it as fully as possible. At least I like to tell myself that. <laughs> well, that is awesome. And one of the questions I love to ask people just at like a random party or random bar is, say you win the lottery, you win that recent billion dollar Powerball jackpot or whatever it is and you suddenly don't have to work anymore, and you can just kind of lay around on the beach or do nothing but party, how long do you think you can do that before you're going to need something else? Pretty much everyone needs that party time. Everyone needs that relaxed time to just take a break. But also, no one can do it forever. But I, I think some people might say, oh, after a week, I'll be so bored, I'll need to get to do something. And some people will try to say they can do it forever. Yeah. Again, maybe there's some people out there who can, but I, I definitely think it's an illusion that we tell ourselves that we could do it. I mean, I know for me, I love taking time off, going to the mountains, being disconnected, going to the beach on a vacation when we can travel again. I can't wait to do that. And so I love that disconnect time. In fact, I think it's essential if you're trying to create something or be creative or you have to have that unplugged time because going all the time depletes that you know, kind of elusive energy source. But I know for me, after you know maybe maximum two weeks, I'm like, oh, I want to get back into talking to people, networking with people, thinking about big ideas. It's a sweet spot. You know, there's a reason people say if you want something done, ask a busy person because I think you have to strike that balance of not being so busy that you can't tap into your creative energy, but not being so not busy that you just can't get yourself going on anything. I heard that saying too about ask a busy person, but then I've also heard the recent text about people treating busyness as currency. It's almost like, look at me, I'm so busy. And that means I'm important. That means I'm successful. Right. And that's another thing we're trying to find the balance of. It's like not want, wanting to be the person that get things done, wanting to be the person that people can trust to get things done, but also not being that person that tells your friend, oh, I can meet up with you at the coffee shop from 4.15 to 4.42. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I have to leave at 4.46 to get to this <laughs> next thing. Yeah. I've, I've kind of, thought about that a lot because I've identified as a very busy person in my life. And I do think it has become kind of this, oh, well, I'm so busy. Like it's a badge of honor almost. And especially after 2020, don't really appreciate that anymore because I, and I've started to ask myself, okay, what is my busyness allowing me to procrastinate on? Because I think a lot of times busyness is an escape from what really matters to us. And if I was being honest, being really busy was a, a way to avoid doing the hard business planning or even the hard relationship stuff that I didn't want to do, you know? So I've tried to kind of reframe it like, okay, I'm busy. Is there something avoiding? Because chances are, if I actually am honest about it, the answer is yes. <laughs> and I think most people, if they were honest with themselves, would find maybe the same thing. If you're going to create something, you really do have to commit to it to a certain point and cut out some of the, the noise, as you might call busyness. Tell me a little bit about that second moment. So we had the first moment when you said I want to travel in my own way. 
And the second moment where you realize you want to kind of start opening these experiences up to people. At the time when I had this idea, I was just with one other person, my now fiance. And I remember also, and this might this might sound bad, I don't know, but I was like, also, I wanted to do this because I was sick of the routine of going and seeing friends at a brewery on on a Saturday. And I was always conflicted because I wanted to go see people. I, I love talking to people and I love connecting with people, but I didn't feel like it could really happen over beers every Saturday. Like it just was getting old to me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, rather than make this just a thing, I want to make sure I'm bringing along these people that I care about into these new experiences with me because I didn't want to start this whole new like cultural dinner and have it take away from the time I was having with people that I cared about. So it kind of was like, oh, well, I'll just invite them. And once a month, we can just do this instead. And people were like, so receptive. They were like, oh my God, that sounds great. I've always wanted to try Ethiopian food, never found a reason to do so. And I was like, great, come with us. So it was kind of this, this next thing of really, I think community is incredibly important. My family, my friends, the people I'm with every day are incredibly important to me. And I, I don't think you can do life without a community. So creating a business that brought it along with me in some way or another was almost like a non-negotiable. I wouldn't have said that at the time, but I think that was in the background in my subconscious. And also the the phrase that like, especially as we kind of move forward into a more technology-driven, more complicated world, very few of the problems that we're going to solve in the coming few decades, I believe, are going to be solved alone. They're going to be some sort of collaboration. Some I would even expand it to say none of the problems that we're facing are going to be solved alone. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird because for a long time in, in the US and probably a lot of other countries too, we had this fantasy of, I feel like the ultimate manifestation of that is that image in the movie, The Social Network, where yeah. Mark Zuckerberg's character, you see him just sitting there at the computer with his headphones over his head for like 14 hours in a row. And that's kind of this weird fantasy. Like, yeah, look at me. I just did this all by myself right. one night as opposed to what kind of really happens with more people collaborating. Right. I mean, we're meant to be social beings, in my opinion. As a species, I mean, I think we're designed to do things together. As hard as it can be sometimes to work with other people, I do think we are designed to do it that way. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things I always say is that even the strongest extrovert in the world needs some alone time, and even the strongest introvert in the world needs companionship. Exactly. Basic human needs we can't most people need a combination of both. And so, so you wanted to stay in touch with your friends, obviously. And you also wanted to form kind of like a deeper connection with some of the people in your life than the ones you were getting at. Say you go to a brewery and you get a little drunk and everyone's just kind of sloppy, right. <laughs> low rider or something like that. Yeah, that, definitely that. It's, it's hard to connect with people over a loud brewery on a Saturday. And I will still do that when we can again. I enjoy the atmosphere, but it's not the most connective experience. And I also just have a, a fundamental belief in the connective power of food. It was always one of some of the first introduction I would have. Like if I showed up in Thailand, I'd put my stuff at a hostel and then go find some food. Like it was the way I oriented myself to my new surroundings. So it's like a perfect gateway to adventure. And it was always, you know, I was a 20 something backpacker. So I was staying in hostels with tons of people. I mean, my friends were the people I met in the hostels I was staying at. And it was very consistent that we would find each other, you know, maybe in the afternoon when we all got there. And one of the first things we would always do together is go eat. And there's something, even though, you know, some people were from Italy and France and South America and all over the world, and there was even some language barriers sometimes between some of us, there was something about sitting down to a meal with complete strangers that made us feel like we were friends. 
And Facebook, of course, has allowed it so we can be friends for life with my air quotes. I remember those experiences of eating with strangers very vividly on my travels. And so imagine what with people you already have a connection with what food and food is a part of everything that we do weddings, even funerals, like birthdays, it is the way that we all sit down and have a shared, um, sometimes even unspoken experience about it. So it's like, this seems like a no brainer. You know, it's fundamental to our existence as humans that we gather and talk and connect over food. And I'm just going to put it in a place that feels a little bit adventurous and fun. So since you started doing these monthly meals, have do you feel like that's changed the nature of the relationship you have with some of your close friends? I think so. I think it it's mostly it's just given us another avenue to connect over. But this was a whole nother way to just create a new conversation. Because when you're in a new place eating a new food, sometimes with some new people, it just like gets that part of your brain that isn't on kind of like the the autopilot conversation, which isn't, I'm not saying that to say, you know, my conversations are boring, but sometimes we can just get in the same conversations with people. And you move into a kind of an unknown space with some unknown food and unknown with, and it, and it just like opens up new pathways of conversation. And so even people that I've known for a very long time that I'm very close with, it created um, some new conversations just by virtue of being in a new place, which is, again, why I encourage traveling, because if you're feeling stuck in life, just go to someplace else. And I really believe if you allow it, new ways to do things will open up to you. We didn't do it intentionally. I didn't sit down and say, well, tonight we're going to make sure we talk about this and have this whole new friendship. It just, it happened really organically, which I think is what also made it pretty more powerful. That's awesome to hear about that organic aspect of it, because we often hear people try to make formulas for everything, kind of like yeah. in your success formulas. It's like if you wake up at 4.30 every morning and you take a shower and listen to your podcast at two times speed, not to insult anyone listening is on two times speed. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do, do you. <laughs> yeah. And so it's good to hear that it happens kind of organically, naturally. That One of the things I feel sometimes in life when I read about our modern methods, especially our modern methods of things like parenting is ours trying to control everything. Yeah. and not letting enough things happen as naturally as they normally should. One other thing I'm wondering is, you've been to Japan, I assume you've been to India, I don't know what other 26 countries. When you go to a restaurant here in Denver featuring the food of a country you've been to, does it ever take you back to that experience or is it too Americanized here? That's a great question because I really, as I was putting these events together, I was really thinking about where am I going to take people? Because we have... I think it's great that we have a lot of new hip restaurants that kind of do these Japanese-Mexican fusion. That might not even be one of them, but we do a lot of fusions of cool cultural food. And I love those cool hip restaurants and they're, they have great cocktails. And I mean, I love all of it. And I really was striving for the most like, authentic experience possible, meaning that the restaurants that we were going to were created by, run by people and immigrants from these different cities that or these different countries that I wanted to take people to. So like the Ethiopian restaurant, um, my very first blog was about this, this restaurant and the family that owned it. It was a husband and wife that came here in the 80s from Ethiopia and their daughter had taken it over or was in the process, I think, of taking it over kind of from them. They were had spent many years running this restaurant and didn't want to do it anymore. And, and it was just such a pure experience getting to talk to them about their lives, you know, while we were there. And that's not to say if there's not some sort of like Ethiopian Indian fusion that it wouldn't be amazing food. But I, as much as I was focused on the type of food that was being served, 
was also really interested in the people behind the food that we were being served because that's such a integral part of the culture of this city and the ways that we get to explore the culture in this city. And so I really would always kind of lean towards restaurants that maybe weren't in Westward's top restaurant type of article, but yeah. had just some amazing food and amazing people to feed it to us. Um, and those did, at least the smells and the tastes took you back to at least partial memories from those places, which of course I love. <laughs> nice. Yeah. As I recall, kind of experiencing a little bit of the culture, talking to the people who opened the restaurant, that's part of the experience at the same plate, right? I didn't intend to do it that way. I was just like, oh, come eat and we'll get some food. But when we, when we, I brought in like nine or 10 people to this Ethiopian restaurant, we took up almost the whole dining room. It was a tiny little spot. So they were naturally intrigued by us and what we were doing there. And so it, it just kind of became a conversation with the owners. Uh, and then, you know, come the third month when I had uh, 30 people showing up, the restaurant was like, this is great. We love having this many people and it'd be good to maybe know about this in advance. And that was kind of like the third iteration of the business when I was like, if I want to give people an experience of talking to the owners like at the Ethiopian restaurant and really make it so people have not prompts, like I don't want to make it a super prompted dinner, but like a, a group of people that they can have a committed conversation with as opposed to like a table of 30 that involves creating a curated experience, talking to the owners, maybe selling tickets so I don't have a group of 45, although it's very flattering that that, ha that could happen. Um, and so that was kind of like the third iteration of like, oh, wow, I could really turn this into something really intentional as opposed to just a monthly dinner with friends. And then it kind of just grew from there. So by the way, what motivated you to expand this beyond just you and your friends to start opening this event up to a larger group of people, ticket events? And it sounds like you're going to like look into other cities as well. Yeah, well, mostly because uh, I'm a pretty gregarious, outgoing person. So when I talk to people, I'll oftentimes tell them like, oh, I'm doing this thing, you should check it out. And word just kind of got around Denver. I also involve myself in a number of um, kind of food access initiatives and food um, security things around Denver, because I fundamentally believe every single person should have access to healthy food. That's a whole nother conversation. But um, so through just kind of talking to these groups of people that I was involved with, uh, I just kind of got to be known that I was doing this sort of thing. And I actually got invited to do a, um, alongside some other people who were putting together group events exhibit at TEDx Mile High in 2019. Um, and so I got to tell people all about this whole thing and like, why not come check it out? And so that was kind of like the opening of, I don't know you, but I want to know you. Food's a great way to get to know people. Come on in, you know? And that's when it kind of started expanding beyond my immediate sphere, just by telling people and having really just like the opportunity that I was totally not expecting, but was so grateful for to go to TEDx, which was super cool. Yeah, that's actually how I found out about the same plate. Yeah, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> I conference in, um, I think, November 2019. Yes, that was it. Definitely. And so people want to find out more about the same plate. Well, can you just tell us the, the, the web address? Oh, yeah. It's very simple www.thesameplate.com. I'm getting ready to kind of update the website with my newest offering, which I can't say a ton about yet, but it's going to be pretty cool, I think. So you can even go there and subscribe if you want to, and then you'll get the updates and some like early bird specials types of things coming up in 2021. It's like a same plate round two, although I'm keeping a lot of what I had, adding a lot after learning um, like everyone did from 2020. So... <laughs> We all learned something. And yes. just uh, just for my viewers, what can someone expect from an experience at the same plate? Yeah. So from, from an event standpoint, it's um, 
I was doing monthly events. I guess I'll, I don't know quite the frequency I'm going to do yet, but really what people can expect, um, I am doing them as ticketed events so I can know how many people are coming and I can let the restaurant know and I can create a full experience for people. So tickets kind of are required to attend. They can expect, you know, a group anywhere, depending on the size of the restaurant from, you know, five to 15 people that are going to be dining there with them. Also, depending on the restaurant, that's the other thing is each restaurant is pretty unique in how they like to function and what works for their kitchen staff and or owners, which are sometimes the same thing, either kind of like a buffet style dinner where they get to try, you know, five to seven different dishes from the countries of or, you know, wherever we're eating at, or sometimes it'll be like, a, this is vegetarian or a meat plate that you're going to get. Each ticket also includes like a one drink. Sometimes we have a little bit extra. So that's like an extra bonus when people come, but it includes one alcoholic beverage plus obviously whatever other non-alcoholic beverage they would like while they was there, were, are there, as well as during the meal, a conversation with the chef and the owner of the restaurant to learn about where they are, where they're from, who they are, their story, the story behind the food. And one thing I'm going to try to add in 2021 is people who come also get, you know, kind of a take-home recipe to be able to try something at home if they would like to. Oh, so. nice. So on this journey, did you encounter any challenges, obstacles, or people with, I don't know, sometimes people just don't always have the most flattering things to say about everything people go out and try to do and put themselves out there for? Yeah. I mean, for the, for the most part, people have been like so complimentary. In fact, people have kind of said, I can't believe I didn't think of this, you know, because it is, it's not like rocket science. And so for the most part, people have been complimentary. As I've kind of tried to get into um, various accelerator programs, there were some people I heard, you know, I don't think you can turn this into a full-time business. And I'm like, well, I would love to run this and not work 40 hours a week. Like, that's not a problem for me. So it's like, okay, thanks for the feedback. But really, I guess the, the meanest thing, and I'll put meanest in air quotes, is like, well, this isn't that novel of an idea. And I'm like, okay. And they're not wrong. Like, it's not that hard to bring a group of people to a restaurant. And it's not that hard to find a Thai restaurant that you want to eat at. But this kind of brings me to, I guess, a, a major thing I like to talk about in the world of starting a business or starting anything, writing a book, whatever you want to do. There are a lot of not very novel concepts out there. That's probably true. Like, I, most people aren't going to be Steve Jobs. Like, I'm not going to invent the next major world computers, whatever. But I think that stops way too many people, this idea that they're not creating the next most innovative thing in the world, because not everyone can do that. And not. And I think the really important thing that I always remind myself is, yeah, this is not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. It's very simple, as evidenced by everyone who says, I should have thought of this. But no one else has my unique life experience to bring to this type of gathering or to this type of business. And if everyone adopted that, that their life journey and their life experience makes what they want to share with the world unique, regardless of how common we think it is, I think it would just be like magical. That's what I tell friends who like, oh, but other people are doing this or other people have written that or whatever. Okay, but they aren't you. They don't have your expression of whatever you're trying to do. And that's the other thing I remind myself of every day when I feel like it's, it's not good enough or it's not innovative enough or it's not, you know, mind blowing enough. Maybe not, but my the experience that led me to want to do this, it is unique from any other person on the planet by virtue that no one else has lived my life. And that's true for every person on the planet. And adopting that gives you a lot of freedom, I think, in whatever it is you want to create. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
this is hardly the only podcast that encourages people to achieve. Right. <laughs> what what I really like about about your story is that first of all, it involves kind of in, in multiple places this mindset of okay, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be a step in the right direction. So I wish, I really wish I was traveling. I really wish I was Anthony Bourdain or whoever you're. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's the guy came to my mind when you were talking about bringing people together through food because that's kind of he's was that, that was his thing. Of, yeah. Yeah, that sweet spot. Exactly. Just start moving. Sometimes you just need to say, okay, you can't wait for perfection. You have to start doing something. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck. But I also like the component of it where it's like you're leaning into kind of an aspect of who you naturally are. So as opposed to trying to pretend to be something else, like I think a lot of people when they pick their desired field that they're trying to like, oh, wait, I need to be like this person. I'm trying to be a copy of this other person as opposed to saying, I need to do what feels right for me and what felt right for you seemed like it was just being that outgoing on the move person. And that naturally just started to spread the word about your, your organization. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you, when you're, when you care about something, when you love something, you just talk about it. And so it doesn't take crazy marketing dollars to get the word out. If you're yourself are excited about what you're doing. I mean, I will still eventually put money into marketing for sure, but if you care, you talk and then it, the word spreads. And that's like the very first organic step to making something happen. So I always say, you know, if you don't want to tell anyone about anything that you're doing, how much do you love it? And yeah, when you, when you care, when you're excited, when you're passionate, you talk. And that is, I mean, word of mouth marketing, so to speak, is still the most powerful way to do anything. The saying I hang so I can see every single day is, do you remember who you were before the world told you who you were supposed to be? And it seems so fundamentally simple, but if we all sit down, we all have a lot of masks we put on and a lot of duties we've taken on and a lot of jobs that we do that don't fulfill us really, but we should because money, because this, because that. And I'm still all about paying bills, believe me. I yeah. I, make, I have to make money too, I, but I don't, it's not like I have a money wand, although that would be cool. But just like sitting and, and thinking about that, like, who am I really? What really speaks to me? Because when you start doing that, then you start talking about it and then people start coming and it, it's a really organic growth. It's like the saying, do what you love and money will follow. It's not always a super linear path for that to happen, but I think there's some truth to that because you're willing to put yourself out there for something that you love. It puts you in an abundance mindset in a certain sense. And I think that's a really key thing is just, yeah, being honest with yourself about who you are, what you're good at, what you want to give to the world. From your perspective, first of all, there's probably a lot of people out there who are so disconnected from that person who they were before the world told them who they are. What is a good way to get kind of reconnected with that? Who are you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. If I had the ultimate answer to that, I would probably be like the next whatever big self-help guru is out there and I'd make all my money doing that. For me, a lot of this, I guess, realization, if you will, came once it was no longer manageable for me to be as busy as I was and mm -hmm. just, you know, running from one thing to the next. And I could no longer be as busy as I was and I had to stop. And the busyness and the noise went away. That was like the first glimmer of it. And I wouldn't say that like the seas parted and I was like, oh my God, I know exactly who I am in the world. You know, like I don't think that yeah. really happens. I think we're kind of on a journey for most of our lives to find that. But once the busyness stopped, there was like a glimmer of, oh wow, what do I want? This is why I think cutting out the busyness is essential. Not because it makes you sleep better, although that's great, 
But because it can get you back to who you are, that is where we find true happiness is once we're living into our, who we are genuinely and authentically. Um, Authenticity. Yeah. It's easier said than done. Like, don't be so busy, but you can start like, what do I do every day? And how much of it brings me joy? I'm going to get rid of three things that actually I don't like doing. I mean, unless you, it involves like kids or something like you kind of have to be responsible still, but what are the three things you're doing that are optional that you don't like? Like start cutting out the noise. For me, I just had to reach a point in which it was no longer manageable. And I managed it for a very long time as though as a badge of honor, (laughs) you know? Yeah. yeah, (laughs) And that's, and it has to reach, it's just like people who go to AA or rehabilitation, they get there because their life is no longer manageable. And yeah. You have to kind of reach that point in which what you're doing just can't function any longer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, Something kicks you. Right. Sorry, what you're doing is unsustainable. Right. And you're going to have to stop and think. And for some people, it's like a motorcycle accident. And there's a, there's a story for everyone. Right. The one final thing I want to touch on is how to go about finding the right set of people, because it sounds like you had a really good job of mostly being around people that were encouraging people that were generally rooting for you as opposed to the people that were, you know, that those rare ones that told you, oh, that idea is not that original. Or one of my favorite things to talk about is when people hear the market's too saturated, which tell that to the guy who started CrossFit is now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So do you believe that like, if you do what you love, the money will follow. That also applies to like the people. Like once you start doing what you love and showing up at places you really reflect you, kind of like my showing up at TEDx Mile High events, for example, then all of a sudden the people that you are really meant to be around, the people that are really going to help you grow into who you need to be are going to follow? Or do you think it needs a more conscious effort of going on social media sites and finding people? I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's an organic attract. If you're out in the world, you're organically going to come across people. And there's a certain value in just not being able to weed out the people that aren't a fit, because that sounds bad, like some someone's like a bad person, but to weed out the people that aren't going to be in service of what you're trying to do, and they're just fine doing their own thing over there. That comes from being really honest in your... Like if I showed up and said, I am a corporate event planner, and like if I just said something that just wasn't like accurate, but was meant to try to impress somebody, that's not going to get me very far. Like maybe I'll start a relationship with that person, but it's not going to, it's not going to work very well, you know? So I think, yes, doing what you love will bring the right people by virtue of the fact that when you're doing what you love, it's much more easy to be authentic about it. And that authenticity will attract the people that you need to find. And I think there is active looking for a mentor in a space that you could use help with and but then also those conversations, I think if they're not rooted in what you're about, what you care about, how you want to run a business, how you need your life to work while running this business, those conversations also have to be rooted in authenticity, which again comes from just loving what you are doing and caring so deeply about it. So, so I think both. And I think, you know, kind of a conscious evaluation every once in a while of who's in my life what's working, what's taking my energy and being responsible about updating relationships, maybe letting some go in a you know nice way is also valuable because just like anything, just like our health, just like our phones, you know, we need updating every once in a while. And that I think is a conscious effort to just be in touch with what's working and what's not. But, and that sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like a really hippie way to talk that like attract authentic people to you. And I'm not trying to be like yeah. brazen or superficial about it, but 
I do think there's a, an energy to authenticity that is very powerful if you know how to tap into it and not in like a superficial. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes sense. It sounds like there's uh, big things coming up for the same plate coming up in 2021. Hopefully we get out of this pandemic. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Kind of rough for those of us that do like to go out there and meet people and, and gather with people. I would like to thank you very much for joining me today and sharing the story of the same plate and sharing all your insights about that. Yes, thank you for having me. This was so fun. I again, I well, I love talking about it. So <laughs> as we've discussed on this podcast, so thank you for having me. <laughs> Definitely, um, and and thank you for, to everyone for listening. And stay tuned for future episodes where I'll talk to more people who start community groups like this, more people who start businesses or even open up kind of their their financial freedom. And so stay tuned for more inspiring stories with actions antidotes. Mm-hmm.